um, some years ago, when I was with a friend, we were travelling through Nelson, and we called in at a Methodist church because he had come from that background. And we went in there, and there's about three or four people in there in this church, which is bigger than this. And I thought, it's a building. And then when the guy started to preach in the Reader's Digest, I just looked at the stained glass window, which I remember was Jesus the Good Shepherd. So even though some churches have left the Bible, I believe that the Bible is still the Word of God. It's inspired in its original languages and can still teach us things. And even pits of um, Proverbs, which are thought to be about 3,000 years old, are still true because God doesn't change and unfortunately human nature doesn't change either. Some years ago, uh, I was, had heard about this thing, phenomena called bungee jumping and I thought, I've got to go and see this. So it happened to be around Queenstown, so I went and saw it. And I thought, why would you want to jump off a perfectly good bridge? And as I thought about it more, I realised that your skull would arrive at the bottom of the ravine a few milliseconds before your brain would smash into it. It didn't seem a good idea. And then when I looked at what was holding the person, it was just a large rubber band. So that raised the question, whoops, who do you trust? You must have trusted that person who attached that rubber band to you to order to be able to do it. Okay, there was some water at the bottom, but it didn't look that deep. Do you know, every year in New Zealand, they have surveys about how we trust people. They ask questions like, which profession do you trust the most? So I want you to spend a minute, turn to your neighbour and ask them that simple question, which professions do you trust the most? One minute, go. Okay, if we could draw that to a close. <laughs> yes, some whistles will be good. So... It's evident from the fact that you were straight away into it meant there are some people that you do trust. Now in the surveys that have, these surveys have been conducted in New Zealand for years, and there's one group that consistently comes out at top. These are our emergency services. These are our firemen and our ambulance drivers. We trust them, our paramedics. We also trust doctors, nurses, pharmacists and pilots. Why is that? Why do we trust these people? Because our lives depend upon them. The next group of people we trust are vets, early childhood teachers and counsellors. Why? Because they deal with things we value like pets, children and our innermost thoughts. But there are some people we don't trust. The people are always, the professions that always finish at the bottom of the list. So your next question, which should be easy, is to turn to your neighbour and say, which professions do you not trust? Okay, one minute, go.
Okay, that's probably not a minute, but we need to move on. So some of you may have thought of used car salesmen. Some of you might have thought of preachers. I don't know. But the surveys indicate the people we don't trust the most are corporate CEOs. These are the fellows who think that their main obligation is to the shareholders. And they, by the way, happen to have a few shares, so they make lots of people redundant, they sell off bits of the company, and then even if the company is, loses money, they expect a golden handshake. So we don't trust them. We used to trust journalists, but not anymore, because they don't report the news, they try and make it. And the people we distrust the most are politicians. <laughs> they promise us everything, but they never deliver. And sometimes they deliver things we didn't, they didn't even mention. So we don't trust them. Now this is not just us. There's a survey done, it's called the Edelman, Edelman Trust Barometer, and this is the results for, for 2022, and it was conducted amongst Western nations. New Zealand was not one of the nations they tested, but they did test Australia. And I don't, I don't know if you can see those figures clearly on there, but about two-thirds of all the people that were surveyed said they, they didn't trust politicians or business leaders or journalists and reporters. And the interesting thing is, between 2021 and 2022, that level of distrust rose about 8%. So according to my maths, another three or four years, and nobody will trust any of them. And we don't trust them because we think they try to manipulate us. Which raises an interesting question, why do people lie? People lie, one of the reasons that people lie is because they're afraid of consequences. Now I was raised by some very wise parents who told me, if you do something wrong, you will be punished. But if you do something wrong and lie about it, you'll be punished twice. Well, it didn't take me long to realise that being punished once is much better than being punished twice. And sometimes, and actually quite often, I didn't get punished at all. But I soon, soon learned to confess if I'd done something, like break that window. But when I was an adult, and I was trying very hard to be truthful, there was a situation in which I found I did lie. I'm not proud of it, but once I explain it, you'll understand. I was working for an organisation in the North Island, that had many branches throughout the country. And our particular branch was in financial difficulty. So the head office thought I should be transferred somewhere else. Now at this stage, I was married and Helen was pregnant with her first child. And someone came down from the head office and said, um, we've, we're kind of thinking through what to do with you and would you accept our decision? But they didn't tell me what the decision was, and I realised it was a test. He was saying, do you trust us? And I thought, hmm, this is an organisation that favours loyalty over competence. So I was conflicted, because I'd done a bit of research myself and thought, there are two branches that I can spot that have a good cash flow. One is Christchurch, where I want to go, because my family was there, and Helen's family was there, for a birth of our new child. 
and the other one was a town in North Island. So I said, yes, I will accept whatever decision you make. But in my heart, I was saying, if you don't send me to Christchurch, I'm going to quit. <laughs> so I was lying, and I felt bad about it. Because I, didn't, I thought, if I just argue with them, they could dismiss me on the pot, spot and say, well, we can't afford you anymore, and I'll be stranded in the North Island and having to finance a shift to the South Island. As it was, they saw my wisdom and transferred me to the South Island, so I worked from, for another three years. Then I quit. But it was a... Had I been on my own, I could have stood up to them, but I felt a pressure because I had a, a pregnant wife. I had my wife and my unborn child to consider as well. And I had also a very short tight frame. And that's sometimes a problem when you are squeezed for time, you will make the wrong decision. So I know what it's like. And most children I've met, if you ask them, do you do break this or do this? The instant answer is no, it wasn't me. That seems to be when we are afraid of consequences. Some people lie because they're seeking an advantage. They write these wonderful things on their CV when they're applying for a job. Marketers are really good at this. Our product is way better than all the others. And politicians also, because they want our vote. Sometimes we tell lies because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. You know? So we call these white lies. And then sometimes we face an ethical dilemma. In the cartoon there, the guy is considering, does he have a career in politics or does he have ethics? He can't have both. That's slightly tongue-in-cheek if you think about it. In the Second World War, there were a number of Dutch people who hid Jews, and which was a very brave thing to do because they risked their own lives. But imagine that you were one of those Dutch people and the Gestapo was knocking on the door and was saying, are you hiding Jews? If you say no, you're lying. But if you say yes, they're going to be taken away and killed. So what do you do? This is an ethical dilemma where you have to choose between two bad options. So one is a lot worse than the other, so you choose the least one. This is called situational ethics. But when you think about the question that's being asked is, they're not asking, are you hiding Jews? They're saying, can we come in, take the Jews you're hiding, and execute them, torture them? And the answer must always be a resounding no. Jesus faced a tricky question once. Some Pharisees came to him and said, is it permissible to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Now this was a trick question. If he said, yes it is, they would say, aha, you are supporting the Romans, you are a traitor to your people. If he said no, he would say, look, you're going to get us offside of the Romans and they'll persecute us. So he knew it was a trick question. And when you read that in Matthew 22, this is what you read. But Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Now, the word translated malice is a Greek word, karkia, and it means that you would harm somebody if you could. He recognised they were out to harm him, to damage his reputation. But he saw through them. But So did he answer the question? Sort of, but not directly. He wasn't falling into the trap. 
because he asked for them, he said, look, bring me a coin, which they did. Whose picture is on this coin? Whose image is on the coin? And they said, well, Caesar's. So then he gave the famous answer, then pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they went away terribly frustrated because he had avoided the trap. He had seen the motivation behind it. And so when we are faced with ethical dilemmas and, and think, well, what do we do? Because each option seems bad. We need to think beyond it and also think of the, ask for God's help for the wisdom to know how to answer it. Now, does the Bible mention people who lied? Well, yes, it does. Heaps of them. Here are a few. Abraham, Jacob, Egyptian midwives. They may not be familiar with this story, but they were told by the Pharaoh to kill the newborn male children. And when they didn't do that, the Pharaoh said, what's going on? And they said, well, we, we, we go there, but the, the Hebrew women are so lively, whatever that means, that they, the children are born before we get there. And then they whip them away. What a, what a terrible thing to ask a midwife to do, to kill babies. The whole reason that they're midwives is because they want to bring new life into the world. So they, had a, they were conflicted in their conscience, and they chose to lie to get out of it. Then there's Rahab, Peter, Ananias, and Sapphira. I don't have time to go into them all, but I want to pick on Rahab. She was in the city of Jericho, which is in the middle of that map. I don't know if you can see it too well. But the Hebrews had come out of the Sinai, bypassed Moab, and were hooking around and were heading towards Jericho. Just to the north of them were some Amorites. There was one guy called King with Sion, and further north of the map, there was a king called Og. They were Amorites, they were big people, strong people, fierce warriors, and they attacked the Hebrews. But the Hebrews had a secret weapon. It was God. And they prayed and they won the battles. In fact, they won them so convincingly that the people in Canaan were terrified. So when the spies turned up in Jericho and they asked Rahab to hide them, she said this, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have despaired because of you. So she hid them on the roof. Next thing, some local authorities came by and said, excuse me, have you seen a couple of spies? And she said, well, yes, I have, but they've left. She lied. Why? Because she was more afraid of God than the local authorities. I think she was a woman who was moving towards God at that stage. Now, back to the map, there was somebody else who was worried about these people who were coming and had this invincible army. And there's a lot of them. The Bible records that about 600,000 men over the age of 20 who could hold a sword left Egypt. And assuming that each one of them had a, um, a wife and a couple of children, there's a couple of million people turned up on their doorstep. That's more than the people that live in the South Island. And they're in one place, and they are invincible. And they're just smashing everybody who attacks them. And they came out of the desert like a horde. And so King Balak of Moab was watching this, 
and he was terrified as well. But he had a bright idea. He said, hmm, they are not winning because they're good warriors. They're winning because their God is so powerful. So what I'll do is I will see if I can damage that relationship between them and God. So he went and found a guy called Balaam, who was a prophet, had a good reputation. And he said, look, I'll pay you heaps of money. just want you to curse these Hebrews. And Balaam said, well, it's a bit of a problem. You see, I can only say what God tells me to say. And Balak said, don't worry about that. So they went up on some cliffs overlooking the plains of Moab where the Hebrews were. And Balak sacrificed to his God. I think he had about seven altars. And then said, right, oh, Balaam, do your thing. So Balaam got up there and he blessed the Hebrews. And Balak said, what are you doing? So they actually had several goes at it. And every time Balaam opened his mouth, he blessed the Hebrews. So Balak was questioning, why are you doing this? <coughs> Pardon me. Balak said, Balaam said something quite insightful. He said, God is not a man that he would lie. So what this really means is that the propensity to lie is mankind's default setting. When we're under pressure, when we seek an advantage, we will lie. But it also means, since God is not like us, that God's default setting is truth. In fact, right as the Hebrews in chapter 6 verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. This morning we were singing about God's promises. It's good to know they're backed by a God that doesn't lie. Now, are Kiwis liars and cheats? You don't have to ask your neighbour this one. No. There is another survey. This one's called the Transparency International Perceived Corruption Index, which is done every year throughout the world. And in 2021, which is the latest figures we have, there are three countries that tied for first. Denmark, Finland, New Zealand and Norway came in fourth. New Zealand has consistently been either one or two in the world for perceived corruption. In other words, we are one of the least corrupt countries in the world. So you don't have to bribe the police to get your driver's licence. In Nigeria, the police set up random roadblocks and when they will target truck drivers and you have to pay a bribe in order to pass the roadblock. But Nigerians are pretty smart. They've now developed an app so whenever you spot a corrupt police roadblock, you um, put your data in, and so you can, the truck drivers can see where these are and try to avoid them. So that's how that country is going. And of course, Nigerians are famous for being scammers. So, but that's a perceived corruption index. Now, I don't know what industry you've worked in, but I know about the corruption the one I worked in. And some of you, I suspect, have been employers. And when you see the CVs that come in and the applications or talk to people in interviews, you realise that some of them are not to be trusted. But because we still have this um, residue of Christian influence in this country, we're generally shocked when we see or hear of people who are corrupt. 
Here's a few recent ones. This is from the New Zealand Herald, 8th of May 2019. Fake psychiatrist forged a US degree, says he was qualified for a Waikato hospital job. Here's one from the 13th of May. Student engineer signed off dozens of projects while posing as a structural expert. Now, as a survivor of the Christchurch earthquake, that concerns me. Or how about this one? This is 1st of November uh, 2022. It's called University Cheating Scandal. An academic claims to have written hundreds of papers for Kiwi students while allegedly working for a China-based academic essay writing service. The anonymous whistleblower alleges that some New Zealand students have graduated with degrees without ever writing a single assignment. Now, as someone who's worked in the tertiary education sector, sometimes we got assignments and we think, I know this student. This doesn't sound like their language. But a quick Google of the first line reveals where they stole it from. In fact, most universities use a program called Turnitin, which checks the internet to make sure these things are authentic. But it is there. And of course, there were rorts in the, in the system as well. This last one uh, from December, just before Christmas. Imposter doctor applied for three jobs while suspended and under investigation. So we have a lot of lying and cheating in New Zealand, even though we think we are one of the most honest nations in the world. <coughs> so what is God's attitude to lying? Well, it's quite blunt. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Now, abomination is not a word you hear every day. It means hate. Except, these days, hate has lost its impact. We say, I hate cabbage or I hate broccoli, or I hate any other green vegetable you might name. But we don't really mean we hate it, we just mean we dislike it. But God really, really hates lies. But more than that, he also hates cheating, which is associated with lying. So in Proverbs 16:11 it says, A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. So in those days when they, things were weighed out with uh, balances, it was very easy to cheat. You would put a, a kilo, so-called kilo weight on one side when it was less than a kilo. And you'd say, there you are, there's a kilo of rice. And when you go to the, to the supermarket and you buy a kilo of rice, you expect the kilo, not 900 grams. The contemporary English version puts it this way. The Lord watches to see if we are fair or if we cheat others. So, what should we do? God doesn't like lying and cheating, and yet we are surrounded by people who do it. Well, Paul said in Romans, don't be conformed to this world. Even though the pressure is there to lie and to cheat, don't do it. And Proverbs says in chapter 4, verse 23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. If you allow the deceit to corrupt your heart, it will affect your life in a very negative way. And we have to be on, constantly on our guard to make sure that we're not subverted by the world.
And it also says in the following verse, rid yourself of a deceitful mouth and keep devious speech far from you. Quite clear. So, we're not to lie, we're not to cheat, and we're not to pretend that we're something that we're not. Now, when the psalmist was writing Psalm 119, I assume it was one psalmist, and it must have taken him a long time, and, and he's talking about God. And when he gets to verse 160, he says, All you say can be trusted, your teachings are true. Jesus in John 8.44 said, Satan is the father of lies. Which means we have a binary choice. Who do we want to be like? Do we want to be like our father in heaven, who is honest and true? Or do we want to be like a father of lies? Well, I'm assuming you want to be like your father in heaven. But that's not easy. That verse I mentioned before in Proverbs said that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But the second part of it is really significant. But those who deal faithfully are his delight. God is not grudgingly accepting when we are honest. He is not mildly pleased. He is not even slightly happy. He is absolutely delighted. Why? Because it's hard. And those of you who are parents look at your children and when they make the right moral choice on their own without your hints, you feel extremely pleased. You are gratified. You are delighted. And that's how God feels about us. Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. We need courage, to be honest. We need courage to speak the truth. And we need wisdom and insight to know how to solve those ethical dilemmas we come across. So, this is not a prophecy, this is just life. You will face challenges, ethical challenges, temptations to lie, or these days they don't say lie, they say misspeak, or deceive, or hornswoggle, if you like, whatever word you want to use. We will face these challenges. It could be tomorrow, next week, the day after, or the week after, or the month. At some point, you will face this pressure. And what are you going to do? I think, I hope, that you will choose to do the right thing. And it says in, in Psalm 15 that the righteous man chooses to do the right thing, even though it costs him. And I hope you have the courage to make the right choice. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you have given us your Bible. You've given us Proverbs to guide us. And Lord, it is so hard sometimes to do the right thing. It's so hard to, to not lie, to not misrepresent ourselves. And sometimes we're just confronted with these ethical dilemmas and we're not sure what to do. Help us to be more like you, to have the courage to choose to do the right thing. And Lord, we ask you to bless us and give us